uniting the body of Christ, equipping and empowering ministry leaders. You're listening to the Convergence International Podcast. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome. This is Tim Brandon from Tim Brandon Ministries and Convergence International. And we're thrilled to have you join us in this journey together as we grow in our relationship with God and with one another to be better equipped and empowered to not only be effective ministry leaders, but ultimately to fulfill God's intended purpose for our lives and to deliver unto Jesus all for which he paid. So as we begin, I thought there's really no better place to start than at the beginning. And it's important that you know exactly what is Convergence International, uh, how in Convergence came about, and just exactly what it is that we sense God is calling us to do. And so to understand fully where we're coming from, I need to take you back to about 1994, 1995. And I remember as I was getting ready to preach my very first message at my home church in Hartsville, Alabama. And the message that I preached that day was titled, I Have a Dream. And of course, as I was preparing this message, the famous speech of Martin Luther King Jr. was on my mind. But really, in this message, what was the root of his message? You see, he wasn't the originator of that dream. I mean, his dream of unity was actually spoken about in John chapter 17. As Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was praying just prior to his arrest, you know, we remember how he agonized in prayer. And Scripture tells us that his sweat became as drops of blood. And it was in that moment as he as he wrestled with what was about to take place, that, of course, he prayed for himself. But then he turned his attention to a different group of people, and he prayed for his disciples because he knew that upon his arrest and ultimately his crucifixion, he knew that they, what they were going to face in the days to come. But then he also prayed for another group of people. He prayed for those who would believe in him because of the message of his disciples. So it was in that moment, as Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, he was thinking about you. He was thinking about me. He was praying for us. He was praying for all believers who would come in the days, months, years to follow. And in that moment, what was his prayer? Well, John chapter 17, verses 21 through 24, Jesus said, Father, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I also have given to them, so that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be brought or perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and you have loved them just as you have loved me. So you see, in his final moments before his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus was praying for our unity, our unity with him and our unity with one another, because it was our unity that would validate his identity to the world. It would confirm his message and give evidence of who he was and of his love for the people of this world. So this was what God was speaking to me about all the way back then in 1994. And, and what, was, what he was working in me from the beginning of our adventure in ministry, honestly, this was at the core. Although I had no idea at the moment that this was more than a message that I was preaching, it really was the journey that I was beginning with him. Now, you do need to understand that I hadn't really grown up in the church. 
My parents were youth directors in the Methodist church up until I was about six years old, but it was then that we left the church, and other than just a, a few random church visits and some youth group meetings over the years, the church really had no part in my life. It wasn't until I was 21 years old that I would have a dramatic encounter with Jesus that would result in my salvation and I would be all in for being a follower of Jesus, to go wherever he wanted me to go, wherever he wanted to lead me, and to preach the gospel to all of creation. It was in that moment when I encountered Jesus that I wanted to go and tell the world about him. I wanted everyone I could possibly talk to possibly that I could go and preach to. I wanted them to experience what I'd experienced to know the Jesus that I had come to know. And so that began my ministry journey. That began my my journey in just following Jesus, because truly that's what ministry is all about. It's not about a platform. It's not about, it's not about building a name or for ourselves or, or anything like that. True ministry is all about just following Jesus. And that's what, from that moment on, back in 1993, up until today, that has been my passion and my desire is to follow him and to introduce others to the experience that I've had. And so in the beginning, what you have to understand is that when I got saved, when Jesus came into my life, I was in a storefront building in Hartsell, Alabama, and what would be probably identified as a charismatic church. That was my beginning. And, and so that was the foundation of my understanding of Christianity, my understanding of Jesus, my understanding of the Bible and, and, and who I was called to be and what I was supposed to be like. But as I continued on in ministry and continued to travel across the state of Alabama and, and also serving in my church, eventually the Lord led me to a, a different avenue, and I found myself in the United Methodist Church in 1998. And I have to be honest that when I got to the Methodist Church, I really questioned God about what was going on here. Why am I here? But I began to understand that they had things in this church that I needed, experiences with God that I had not experienced where I'd come from. But I also realized that I had things that they needed that I had experienced God in ways that maybe they had not, and, and so I had something to contribute as well. And, and so my adventure with Jesus and my adventure in ministry continued. I found myself serving in multiple Methodist churches over the years, uh, beginning as a youth pastor, and then I was director of children and youth ministries. I became an associate pastor, and ultimately I ended up being a United Methodist pastor and leading a church there in Alabama. But in 2010, we took a different turn. The Lord had been dealing with us about evangelistic ministry, and so in 2010, we knew that it was the right time, and we stepped away from our church to begin traveling the nation in evangelistic ministry. Now, in this moment, um, many people questioned what we were doing, why we would do such a thing, and really, what was this, you know, why would you leave a, a good church, a successful church? We were having great ministry there, but we knew that we had heard from God. And when we heard from him, we were willing to give it all up to follow wherever he wanted to lead us. And so we sold or gave away practically everything that we owned. We gave up 
a, a wonderful home that the church provided for us, a great salary that they also provided. And we stepped out with really not knowing exactly where we would go or what we would do, except that we knew that we had heard from God and we stepped out on a word from him and we followed him. And in the days, weeks and months to come, he would lead us on an adventure that ultimately would bring us to where we are today. I didn't realize back in the day why we were, why we began where we began and where God led us in the Methodist Church. But as we began to minister across the nation and really around the world, God began to open up opportunities for us to minister to every part of the body of Christ. And what I mean by that is that some days we would be in Pentecostal churches, the next day a Baptist church, then maybe the next day a Methodist church, a Presbyterian church, a Lutheran church, all across the spectrum of the body of Christ, we found ourselves ministering to God's people. And I realized in that moment that what God had been doing all along was preparing us for this moment, that he wanted his people to be one, that he wanted to bring us into unity, and that he was using the ministry that he had called us to to help bring about this unity in the body, to bring about what ultimately we would realize was a convergence of the body. And that's what I want to talk with you about today. The first, the first part of what convergence is about, and that is the convergence of the body of Christ. So as we begin this discussion about the convergence of the body of Christ, we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 1 to the very beginning, where it says that, in verse 26, that God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so man was created first and foremost in the image and likeness of God. Man was created to be like him. And so we are, as mankind, created in his image and likeness. And so we are all like God, but yet each one of us significantly different. I want you to think about that for just a moment, that every one of us is created in the image and likeness of God. But yet when you look around at the diversity of humanity, you realize how unique each person is. But yet the word of God says that we were created in his image and likeness. So that means that each one of us in a different way portrays attributes of their father that are different from those around us. There is not one of us that is able to fully put on display all that God is, but yet in each one of us, there is something of who he is that is displayed through our character, through our personality. And so we are able to display some of who our father is. And that's one of the reasons why I love the diversity that I experience everywhere I go all around the world. Because as I spend time with people that are different from me, there's something of who the Father is that I am able to experience through the life of individuals that are different from me. And so I, I, I truly enjoy being able to spend time with people around me that have totally different cultures and experiences and personalities and backgrounds than anything that I've known because there's something of who God is that I can tap into, that I can experience through my interaction with those individuals. 
But as we look around at all the people around us, there's not one of us the same. I mean, each one of us, as I said, is a unique expression of the Father. So, you know, I have three children of my own, all uniquely different, but all like me in different ways. And the way that they talk, the way that they look, and their personalities, they have attributes that are very similar to me. And so definitely there, there's something in each one of my children that you can see me in them, but yet each one of them is a unique individual that sets them apart from the others. And in the same way, we as the body of Christ, as the people of God, we each one display different attributes of who our Father is, but yet we are all created in His image and His likeness, and we are all part of His family. So I want us to also go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse 12, going through verse 27. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 through 27. And Paul writes these words. He says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it should not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. And, and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body. I'll say that again. He says, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So every one of us is a part of the body of Christ, but yet we all serve different purposes. All of us are one of the many parts that make up the body, each serving various purposes and functions, but all necessary for the full function of the body. We need each other. We need each other, and we need each part of the body fulfilling its purpose and excelling and what it's there to do. Because when one part is suffering or is in pain or is not functioning properly and at its full potential, well, the entire body's affected. The same, the same thing that's true of your natural body is true of the body of Christ as well. 
And I want to ask you, and I want you to think on these things, what part were you created to be? What part of the body, what is your responsibility within the context of the body of Christ? Are you functioning in your proper place? Are you fulfilling your purpose? And are you excelling in what you're supposed to be doing? All parts are needed. You are needed. There's not one part that is insignificant. And so I need you to understand this today, that you are significant to the function of the body as a whole. In the same way that a hand is not sufficient on its own. Listen, we understand how important, we understand how important our hands are. And so we all need our hands. If we didn't have our hands, what could we possibly do with our natural body without hands? So hands are so important. But we forget sometimes all of the necessary supporting parts, the arm, the wrist, the elbow, the shoulder, that all of those are necessary for the support of the hand so that it can function and accomplish what it needs to do. In the same way, every part of the body is needed in order that all of the parts are able to function at their full capacity. And there's necessity for harmony in the body. Not one part suppressing or fighting against another part but all parts functioning together. When one part's hurting, listen, in your physical body, when one part of your body is hurting, listen, the whole body becomes aware and the process begins to bring healing to that area of pain. And so it should be also in the body of Christ, recognizing that when one, one part of the, the body is hurting, when it's in pain, when it's suffering, that we come together to do everything we can to bring healing to that part of the body because in the process of healing all of the parts of the body benefit. Now Ephesians 2.10 also reminds us that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You are God's handiwork. You are His workmanship, a masterpiece, a one-of-a-kind uniquely designed by God to do unique works in a way that only you can do it. You are uniquely you. And the things that you are put here to do and created to do, handcrafted to do, equipped to do, is unique to who you are. And so I want you to realize the important part that you play within the body and that you are needed. And not only are you needed, but you are needed to function at your full capacity. Now, I want to go back to the beginning of creation as once again and, and talk about when God created Adam. Now, we know that when God created man, first he created Adam only. So if he created Adam only, then where did Eve come from? Now, we know this, but I want to remind you that Eve came from Adam. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 21 through 23, it says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. So what we now consider male and female both existed in one being that was created in the image and likeness of God. I want you to listen to why this is so important. So when Eve was created, 
God did not form her from the dust of the ground, but he took her out of what he had already created. The reason why I'm expressing this is to help us to understand the importance and necessity of both men and women in expressions of God's image and likeness. That in the beginning, it was only Adam. Adam was created in the image and likeness of God, but yet Eve was taken out of Adam. And so there was something of that original image that was taken out. And so it's men and women working together that we see as well the fullness of who God is. One is not superior to the other, but both are equal in importance to express fully the image of Christ. And so we go back as well once again to what we started with in John chapter 17 as Jesus is praying there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying for himself. He's praying for his disciples, and he's praying for all those who will believe because of the disciples' message. And so he was praying for you, he was praying for me, and he was praying that we would be brought to complete unity. He said, then the world will know that the Father has sent me. Our unity, it validates his identity to the world. When the parts are united, they express more vividly the fullness of who Jesus is. And as for this reason, I rejoice in the diversity of my brothers and sisters, because in knowing them, I experience an expression of God that only can be experienced through them. And in being united together, Jesus becomes more visible to the world around us. Very possibly, you've put together, at some point in your life, you put together a puzzle. And I don't know if you've ever had like a thousand-piece puzzle. It take, it's quite tedious, takes a while to do it. But have you ever tried to put together a thousand-piece puzzle without the box, without an image to look at? So I want you to think about that for just a moment. You've got a thousand-piece puzzle. You've got this pile of puzzle pieces there. And, of course, the first thing that you're going to do when you start to put together this puzzle, you're going to find the flat edges so that you can begin to put together the outer frame. But once you get the outer edges done, then you have to start taking the time to figure out which piece fits where and begin to fill in the middle part. And little by little, as each piece comes together, the image becomes clearer. One piece at a time, connected to this piece, connected to this piece, and the image becomes clearer. In the same way, when all of the parts of the body begin to come together and function together, the image of who Jesus is is more visible to the world around us. Many times the world has not believed our message because of the division that exists within the body of Christ. But if we'll recognize the importance of our unity, the importance of functioning and working together, supporting one another, encouraging one another, and helping each other to function at our full capacity, then the world begins to believe our message. They begin to see Jesus as he really is. So in applying this perspective to our interactions with others, I want to ask you these questions today as well. Do you believe that God is present and at work in your life? Do you believe that God is present and at work in the lives of the people around you? And if he is, then wouldn't it be to our benefit to honor each individual and allow the opportunity for our lives to be enriched by the lives of those around us as we also seek to enrich their lives by what God is doing in us? Because, see, we were created to engage 
first and foremost with God and then with others as the unique individual that they are. Let's use money to illustrate something of great significance in this. Because I believe, first of all, that you are very significant and blessed tremendously by God. And let's say that the value of the treasure that is within you is worth $1 million. Now, you're far far more valuable than any dollar amount. But, I, but for the sake of illustration, I want you to, we're going to assign a value. You're worth, the treasure within you is worth $1 million. Now, there's so much that can be accomplished by the treasure that's within you. But first of all, you've got to recognize your own value. If you don't realize that you're what you're worth, then you'll never utilize the gifts that are within you. You'll never reach your potential and accomplish what you were put here to do if you don't recognize the value that has been placed upon you. But even with your own value, listen, just your own value, much can be accomplished. But I want you to begin to imagine if you were to take the, the treasure that's within you and you begin to combine that with the treasure that's in, with those around you. Let's say that that million dollars that is in you and you combine it with 39 other people, 40, 40 times 40 times the value that is within you, $40 million. As much as can be accomplished with $1 million, imagine what you could accomplish with $40 million. You see, when we begin to take the treasure and the value that is placed upon each individual and we begin to put it together with that of others, the impact is multiplied over and over and over again. Now, what God has given you and called you to do, it cannot be measured in natural terms. It's a far greater value than any money and has far greater impact. What is on the inside of you has the potential to change atmospheres, to change attitudes, to change lives, to change families, change cities, change nations, to change governments, to change eternities. But what happens when you first of all recognize the potential inside of you and then also recognize that in those around you and then begin to combine your treasure with their treasure. And as it all comes together for the sake of the kingdom, what could be accomplished upon the earth today? Not to compete or to compare, but to combine, to unite, to converge as one body, the body of Christ. And so it's important that we see God in the individual, that as we look around at those who, who are walking with us, that we honor the presence of God that is at work in their lives, that we honor the gifts and callings that are upon one another, that we honor the treasure that is in each person, and that we do all that we can to excel in what God has called us to do, but we also come alongside those around us to encourage, to build up, to support, and to unite with what God is doing in their lives so that the body of Christ accomplishes God's purposes upon the earth and the world begins to see Jesus as he really is. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Convergence International Podcast. We'd also like to invite you to join us on our social media channels on Facebook and Instagram or on our website at convergenceintl.com where you can learn more about Convergence International.